This sermon, We Are Pastor-Led, was preached by Derek Overstreet on August 29, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. This text that we're looking at this morning is going to be, uh, well, it's going to be a bit familiar because we just preached this text in our series uh, through 1 Peter, and we preached it toward the end of January. And as we were trying to determine what text should we choose for this uh, value, this biblical value, I told Tim, I said, you know, this is the best text in all of Scripture, but we just preached through it. Should we look for something else? And I, I, I put forth a couple other passages that we could certainly uh, uh, preach from this morning. But at the end of the day, we agreed, if this is the best text... Uh, how can we get, ever get tired <laughs> of looking into God's word? Uh, how can we ever preach any one text enough? And if you're like me, you probably forgot much about that sermon in January. Uh, there will probably be, this is a new sermon, but there probably will be some familiar things that you'll hear because I certainly drew from that sermon. But this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 5, verses one through four. We are taking time, just to remind you where we're at and what we're doing, we're taking time to revisit our seven shared values, seven core biblical convictions that shape who we are and thus define how we build together as a local church. For those of you who are not members yet, this series is your membership class. So please pay attention and write your questions down. But here's what we've covered so far in the last four weeks. Week one, we looked at we are reformed in our understanding of how a sinner comes to know Jesus. We are gospel-centered in all that we do, and, and that value is really the core fundamental of what everything else builds off of and flows from. Two weeks ago, we looked at our pneumatology, that is our doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We are continuationists. We believe all gifts that we see in Scripture are for the church today and will be until Christ returns. And then, of course, last week, we are complementarian. We believe that God created men and women equal equal in value and worth in his uh, eyes, but different in their roles. Now, next week, we're going to actually break from our seven shared values to look at the office of deacon. It's not part of our seven shared values, but we felt like this was a good place to teach on that. At Sovereign Grace Church, we believe in deacons, but I will confess Beginning with me, we have not done a good job of identifying and deploying that office. And so that's one of the things that we, we are going to do this year. And if you, if you are not going to be here for next week, I know it's a holiday weekend. I hope you're here. But if for some reason, due to the holiday, you're not going to be here, watch next week's sermon online because there will be very specific and time-sensitive application that if you're a member, we are going to require from you. Uh, so be paying attention next week. 
But today, we're going to look at the office of pastor, our fifth shared value. We are pastor-led. This is what our website says. Uh, It says, Jesus Christ reigns as head over his church, and he gives to his church pastors or elders, overseers, to govern and lead local churches under his authority. We believe that men, qualified by both character and gifting, are to serve as pastors, shepherding God's people as under-shepherds of Christ. A church's health is to a great degree dependent on the health of its pastors. And so our aim is to strengthen the current pastors in this church and in our family of churches while identifying and training new ones. We are pastor-led And why we are pastor-led is what we are going to unpack this morning. So would you stand with me? We're going to limit ourselves to the first four verses of 1 Peter 5. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, our prayer this morning is simple. We are grateful to be here. We know that we are here because of you and for you in Jesus Christ. And now we ask as we come to your word, I pray that I would preach faithfully, clearly, passionately, and that all who are listening would listen in the strength of the Spirit and with humble hearts. And all of this for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're taking notes, three points this morning, the office of the pastor, the work of the pastor, and then finally, the heart of the pastor. So let's get into it. Let's just get right into it this morning, looking at our first point, the office of the pastor. If you're not familiar with this uh, letter, Peter wrote this letter to churches scattered throughout Asia Minor. It's what we would know today as modern-day Turkey. And uh, it was probably sometime around 62, 63 A.D. And the best way to describe the, the, the times is like wind and rain that precedes a hurricane. Uh, the Christians in this time, they were beginning to experience a ramping up of hostility that in just a few years 
would erupt at the hands of the emperor Nero. Think about, I understand, that. please be praying for those in, in the Gulf Coast. I understand there is a serious storm getting ready to make landfall, and some are wondering, is this going to be Katrina all over again? Well, right now, they're just, they're starting to feel the swirling winds and, and the rain, no doubt. That's kind of what, but, but the real persecution was yet to come. And so Peter is, he is riding to equip and to prepare. He is being a good and wise shepherd as he equips these churches. And, and as he wraps up his call to persevere in the faith, to stand in the storm, to not waver from Christ and him crucified, he turns his attention to the church leaders. Notice what he says in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. I want to begin this morning with one word, elders. One word, elders. You know, when it comes to church polity, and that's just kind of a fancy name for church government, when it comes to church polity, there's a lot that Scripture is quite unclear on. Uh, I would submit to you that most church polity, most church government is shaped by tradition or culture. Uh, But there are some things that Scripture is very clear on when it comes to polity. And one of those is the office of pastor. Not only are there clear qualifications in 1 Timothy and Titus, we're not getting into those this morning, uh, but, but there are two things that Scripture is quite clear on, and we see them in our text here even this morning. The first one is this, identity. Who are the pastors? Uh, it's common practice in the church today to make a distinction between a pastor and an elder. And if you come from another church, you might be very familiar with this. Eddie the elder serves on a governing board. And Pete the pastor, if you will, well, he's the pastor. He pastors the people. He, he's the one who's working for the church and preaching and making the phone calls and going down to the, to the, to the uh, hospital and, and all that. He's Eddie the pastor is, or Pete the pastor, preaches and cares for the people. But the New Testament does not make any such distinction. Biblically speaking, pastor, elder, even the term overseer, those are interchangeable terms referring to the one and same Office. In fact, we see that in our text this morning. Did you notice, again, that one word Peter used in verse 1, he, he refers to the leaders as elders. Now, he's going to turn around then in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock. The, the shepherd being the verb form of the noun for pastor that we actually see Paul use in Ephesians 4.11. And so, in effect, Peter here is saying, be a pastor, Elders, be pastors, be a pastor. And then finally in verse 2, Peter says the elders are to exercise oversight. Do you see that? Well, oversight is the, is the verm form of the noun overseer that Paul uses when he gives 
Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 the qualifications. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of, he doesn't say pastor, he doesn't say elder, he says overseer. And then I believe he even goes on and uses the word elder to refer to that same man. So again, in effect, when Peter used the term uh, elder in verse 1, he says in verse 2, be a pastor. And then again, he says, be an overseer. Three terms, elder, pastor, overseer, same man. Three terms, same man. And for your personal study, uh, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, Acts 20, I think these are up on the screen, Philippians 1, Ephesians 4, all of these texts clearly demonstrate the interchangeable nature of these terms. Here's the point that I want us to get this morning. According to New Testament language, instruction, and practice, pastors are the elders. Elders are the pastors. There is no biblical distinction. Pastors may have different gifts that lead to differing responsibilities. Some pastors may serve full-time, while some function bivocationally. But there is one office in Scripture, equal in authority, subject to the same qualifications, called to the same accountability before God. Now, there is an important biblical distinction I want to make here, and that is leader amongst equals. I'm a senior pastor. Does that mean that Tim's a junior pastor? Absolutely not. We are both pastors, elders in this church. We are the pastors in this church. We are the elders in this church. We, we are held accountable to God in the same way. We carry an equal authority as we govern and shepherd this church. But just as we see clearly patterned in Scripture, there is a place for numerous reasons for a leader amongst equals. Thus, we have a senior pastor who ultimately leads the pastoral team. So I want you to see that. Who are the pastors? Well, the pastors are those men, whether you call them elders, overseers, or pastors who have been called by God. There is no distinction. Scripture is very clear on that. Second thing the Scripture is very clear about when it comes to the office pastors, plurality. In 1 Peter, you'll notice he says elders, plural. That if you study this, this is the pattern of Scripture. Wherever pastors are mentioned, wherever elders are mentioned in the context of the local church leaders, it's always in the plural. This is God's design for church leadership, that no one man serves alone. Now, there may be times when the, a plurality isn't possible, a brand-new church plant. You have one pastor. Or perhaps when a pastor steps down, there may be seasons where a church only has one pastor. But, but the question is, how is that church moving toward a plurality? Because it is God's design for a plurality of men to lead 
his church. There's numerous reasons for that. You probably know those. Increased efficiency, breadth of gifting and counseling, to guard against any kind of authoritarianism, to create accountability, but most important, the clarity of Scripture. At Sovereign Grace Church, plurality is a priority when it comes to the office of pastor. Sometimes churches can get in situations where if they just have one pastor, they may assemble a a team of leaders that come alongside of them and help them. But those men are not pastors with authority in the church. The pastors may delegate, in a sense, authority, but, but those men are not pastors unless, as we will see, they have been, God has put his finger on them and they have been recognized, a calling and affirmed by the congregation So two things that we see in this text alone that Scripture is very clear about on the office of pastor is that there is to be a plurality of pastors leading a local church and that there is one office with interchangeable terms. So if you're visiting with us and you're wondering about members, we don't have an elder board. We don't have an elder board. Our pastors are our elders. We don't have two different offices that carry the same authority. Elders over here and pastors do the shepherding and elders do the governing. We don't build that way. Primarily because we just don't see it in Scripture. So the office of pastor, it's an office of plurality. And it's an office that is referred to in three different ways in the New Testament. Second, the work of the pastor. Peter exhorts the pastors In verse 2, notice what he says. The beginning of verse 2, he says, having having called the elders out, he says, now shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Peter exhorts the pastors to shepherd or, or, or exercise oversight in the church. Now, some people... Uh, see this as two different activities. Again, Pete, the pastor, shepherds. Eddie, the elder, sits on a board exercising oversight. I don't want us to be confused here. There are not two charges here. Just as there is one office, there is one charge. Peter is being repetitive, shepherding and exercising oversight, ultimately are two different ways to describe the pastoral role. Alexander Strzok says shepherding is the figurative expression for governance, while overseeing is the literal term. So I want to take a moment here and consider the rich imagery of shepherding and how it helps us understand a pastor's role and responsibilities as he as they govern the church. Look look what Peter goes on to say. He says, shepherd the church, exercise oversight over the flock of God among you. And then he goes on to to say, uh, well, he doesn't go on to say this, but, but we can derive as we look from other parts of Scripture. How does a shepherd exercise 
oversight in the church. What does that mean? Is that just decision-making? No. Pastor is to feed the church. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Preach the word. Feed my flock. As a shepherd feeds his sheep from green pastures, pastors are called to skillfully feed the church with the preaching and teaching and counseling of God's word. Pastors care. Hebrews 13, 17 says that pastors watch over the souls of those in the church. As a shepherd cares for the needs of the flock, pastors are called to lovingly and tenderly care for the people in their practical and, most importantly, spiritual needs. Shepherding comes in the form of protecting. Acts 20, 28 through 30, Paul made it clear wolves will come in. Guard the sheep. As a shepherd risks his life to protect the sheep from wild animals and bandits, pastors are called to be spiritually alert and courageous, protecting the church from false doctrine and wolves that would come into the church. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Protecting is part of pastoring. Leading. Exercising oversight or shepherding. It comes in the form of of leading. As a shepherd leads the sheep to fresh water, green pastures, a stand of trees where there is cool shade. Pastors are called to strategically lead through administration. By the way, I don't like administration. (laughs) Wednesday is my admin day. Because if I don't create a day for it, I won't get it done. But the truth is, it's part of my call in shepherding is to administrate, make decisions. It's what we see in Acts 6, 1 through 6, our text for next week. Part of shepherding and leading is identifying and equipping new leaders, 2 Timothy 2.2, as well as equip people for ministry, Ephesians 4.11-16. Equip. Talk about a deacon's role in that next week as well. This is, this, is, this is the pastor's call. This is what it looks like to shepherd. Not just take that call when you're hurting. Not just stand up here and preach on Sunday but to administrate, to govern, to make decisions, to care for you. All of that is wrapped up in this phrase that Peter uses in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. From praying for you to governing the activities of the church. These are the sacred tasks of governing. Governing feeding and caring and protecting and leading. They are biblical expressions. They are biblical, listen, they are, those are biblical expressions of the authority that Christ has given 
to the men that he has called to faithfully carry out his will and purposes in his church. That, that governing authority, we'll talk about this in a moment, that governing authority, it belongs to the office of pastor. Not deacons, not the congregation, not a denominational structure. It's a call to the pastors. Now, to be clear, to be clear, Tim and I would want you to know, and if you've been around in this church for any amount of time, you, you know this to be true. In this church, the pastors value and need the wisdom and the input of everyone. Historically, that has been expressed in numerous ways at Sovereign Grace Church. But ultimately, God has entrusted authority to govern the local church to the pastors who are called to shepherd the church. It's why we're not congregational. It's why we don't vote. Now, this is, this, uh, um, this is important in, in the terms of governing the church. The, Tim's call, my call, is to feed and protect and care and lead you. But people come and people go. <laughs> and so there's an important connection here I want to make to church membership. Why? Just one reason why we value it. Who, who, how do your pastors know who it is that we are to shepherd? Well, in some sense, Peter tells us in verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. If you go to Hebrews 13, 17, you'll learn that, that, that your pastors will stand, stand in, an, in a unique way accountable to God for how we were shepherds. So how do we know? That's a serious call. That's why church membership is important. That's why church membership, we, 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 we don't hold church membership high around here simply because it is all over the pages of Scripture in different ways. This is one of them. Because as your pastors, we need to know who our calling is to. If you're not a member of this church, we're glad you're here, and we hope that the Lord will lead you here and keep you here, and you will become members in October. But right now, I'm not your pastor. <laughs> and this call is not for me to you. You need to find a local church and find a pastor who takes his calling seriously so that you can be shepherded and give yourself to that local church under the care and spiritual authority of that pastor. So membership is important to us, and this is just one reason why. Now, third, we, we've looked at the office of the pastor the work of the pastor, feeding and caring and leading and protecting the flock. But we also see in our text the heart of the pastor. How pastors shepherd is critical. <laughs> How Tim and I shepherd you 
will either distort Christ's love for you. By that, I mean tell a lie about Christ's love for you. Or it will reflect his love for you. And so Peter shows us the heart of the pastor in verses 2 and 3 by really using a technique of not this way, but this way. And he makes three statements. Notice verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock among you, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. God doesn't want reluctant, 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 half-hearted, indifferent men serving out of obligation or under pressure because no one else will do it. That's, that's, not, that's not what God calls pastors to. Pastors aren't drafted soldiers. That they are men convinced inwardly that they are called and commissioned by God to shepherd his people. They are not to serve under compulsion, but willingly, knowing that God has called them to this. You could say it this way. A pastor must have a heart to sacrifice himself to the will of God the gospel of Christ, and the mission of the church because he is convinced in his heart God has called him. I've talked to men about that, and at times men have responded, yes, Lord, here I am. And at other times men have said, yep, I'm not convinced like that. And in both cases, I go, amen. <laughs> because this is about discovering God's will. This is one of the reasons why we take, we don't just rush men into ministry. I was actually at a church years ago. We went to this church. And I heard a story that a man got up, felt like he'd heard from the Lord during the service. And he got up and went to told the pastor before the service was over. He's down the front rows. I think they were singing or something. He said, hey, the Lord, Lord told me I'm called. She would preach. I feel like the spirit of God revealed it to me. The pastor said, good, get up there and tell everybody. <laughs> and he did. I thought, wow. We don't rush men into the pastorate. We strive alongside of them to make sure the calling is one owned by the man in his heart. Two, recognized and cultivated by his pastors. And three, affirmed and embraced by you, the congregation. Those three things are there, though we only know in part. There is a sense in which we can say we believe that this man is called to be a pastor, a shepherd, an elder, an overseer in the house of the Lord. So, 
Shepherd of the flock among you, not under compulsion, but willing. And then look what he goes on to say in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Uh, John Piper wrote a book years ago titled, Men, We Are Not Professionals. I think that was the title. And he's right. He was talking about pastors. Pastors aren't CEOs. Pastors aren't professionals. We are servants. We are servant leaders. And when money becomes the motive for our ministry, and I believe that first and foremost, Peter is speaking when he says, not for shameful gain, he's speaking in monetary terms. When money becomes the motive for ministry, ministry becomes shameful. That's the warning here. Pastors can't be in it for a paycheck. Should pastors be paid? Absolutely. I believe according to 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy 5, if at all possible, pay the man who gives himself full time to the church as a pastor. However, when money becomes the motive, temptations and partiality can easily hinder the gospel mission, can easily lead to reviling the word of the Lord. And that ultimately slanders the name of Christ and soils the testimony of the church and the community. This is why it's important to have, we have, this is, this is if, you're, if you are visiting with us, this is why we believe having a financial review team is important. Tim and I, as the pastors in this church, have been called and given the authority to deal with the finances of the church. But we need wise, humble men who will help steward that responsibility. And so we have a financial review team. Scott McLeod, raise your hands, guys. Scott McLeod, Chris Johnson, Brian Trask. I don't think Brian is here this morning. These men come alongside your pastors and help us with the finances. They help us steward the finances. They don't have any authority at the table. The pastors do. But we need their wisdom. We seek to listen to their input so that however the money that God so generously provides through your generosity that we're not just two pastors acting out there according to our own good or in our own wisdom. And so 
What Peter says here, what Peter warns us against, a pastor must not be in it for shameful gain. That's one of the reasons why we have a financial review team. Now, I do say before we move on here, I would submit to you that we shouldn't limit sinful gain to just money. I think we can carry this application. It may be reputation. There's a, there's a lot of men out there, and I'm not going to name names, and what I'm about to say doesn't mean that it's bad to write books. I wish I could write a book. I'm just not smart enough. But there are some out there who have seen the ministry as a platform to write books and make lots of money. I think that's under Peter's warning here. Whether that shameful gain is for opportunity or it is for reputation or it is for a sense of influence, whatever the gain is, Peter says to the pastors, you are not to serve for personal gain but eagerly, eagerly, with energy and with enthusiasm, being driven by nothing except the renown of Christ and the good of his church. So would you pray for us? (laughs) Because nobody's immune. I might not be able to write, I might not be smart enough to write a book, but I'm not immune to making my ministry about a paycheck or having some sphere that I feel like I can exert some influence on, and neither is Tim. Third, look what he says. He says, shepherd the flock among you, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's verse three. Don't shepherd in a domineering way. Instead, be examples to the flock. Under the ultimate authority of Christ and established in the authority of God's word, pastors have genuine spiritual authority in the church. Did you see what Peter says there in verse 3? Not domineering over those in your what? In your charge. Peter's language here. The implication is that there is real spiritual authority given to pastors in the church. And I know that, oof. You know, we, we, we hear that word authority and we cringe, right? We're, we're experiencing, you know, masks and mandates and, and everything. Every, yeah, when we hear authority, we, we feel like, we, don't, don't hem me in, Right? But listen, that's just part of our fallenness. It really is. Do you know what happened in the garden? They didn't want to be told what to do ultimately. They felt like God was keeping something from them, hemming them in. Wait a minute. I want to I want to be like God. part of our fallenness to to kind of buck even when we hear. Maybe you're bucking right now. You've been bucking ever since I opened up my mouth this morning. Our understanding of authority, our our, all too often our exercising of authority 
as well as our submission to the Lord, it's perverted because of the fall. Sin. Sin has perverted our experiences and our understanding and our willingness to submit to authority, but yet it's God's way. (laughs) It's God's way. Patterned in the Trinity, enabled through the gospel, and clearly prescribed in the scriptures. God establishes authority in his church. In fact, there are numerous places in the New Testament that make that abundantly clear. You know what Hebrews 13, 17 says? Obey and submit to your pastors. In these words right here in Peter's letter, we've looked at some. Authority is inherent in the in the idea and the imagery of shepherding in verse 2. In fact, look at verse 5. Look, look what Peter goes on to say in verse 5. He says, subject yourselves. Be subject to the elders. So authority established in the office of the pastor it is inherent even in the language of our, of our text. And then I would submit this to you. The fact that Peter has to warn pastors not to be domineering implies they have real spiritual authority. He also knows this, that real authority brings real temptation to abuse that authority. And so these are strong words from Peter to the elders. Listen, Things are going to ramp up. It's it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian in Asia Minor. And people are going to want to do their own thing and they're going to want to go their own way. But they I you you have a charge over them and you must exercise that, but do not be domineering. <laughs> do not do not rawhide people. Did you notice in our text? Paul, or or, excuse me, Peter doesn't call pastors ranchers, right? That's a totally different imagery, right? Rough, tough, you know, leathers on, a whip in hand. What does a rancher do? He rawhides cattle into the corral, right? Get in there, right? No, it's, it's not a rancher imagery. It's a shepherd imagery. Pastors are shepherds. Ranchers rawhiding the cattle. Pastors are shepherds, gently feeding, caring, protecting, leading the sheep towards great. Listen, I've read a number of books on shepherding. When I say that, I mean literal shepherding, Middle East shepherding. It's fascinating. I've never heard any stories or seen any photos of a shepherd kicking a sheep. Normally, they're down there. They, they, they pick the bugs out of the wool. When a sheep rolls over on its back, it can't roll back over. That shepherd goes. He doesn't kick it over with, its, with his foot, but he gently picks it up. You've seen the pictures on his shoulders. Pastors aren't ranchers or shepherds. 
Peter chooses this imagery for a reason. In fact, God chose this imagery long before Peter did. Here's the big point I want us to get. Pastoring is not about the pastor. It's not for the pastor. It's not to the pastor. It's about Christ. It's for Christ. It's to Christ because you are Christ. I love Acts 20, 28, where Paul, addressing the elders in Ephesus, says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And then he says this, which he obtained with his own blood. Every time I read that, that brings me to my knees because it's a reminder that nobody in this church belongs to the pastors, that what I do, that what Tim and I do is not about us. You belong to the chief shepherd. You belong to God. And you are so precious in his eyes that he sent his son. And I love Paul's language. He didn't just say, because God has saved you from your sins. He says, no, you were obtained with his own blood. That phrase is meant to have impact. It's meant to be an indelible statement on the heart of the pastor. You realize, shepherd, you realize, elder, you realize, pastor, that God shed the blood of his only son for the people that you get up every morning to serve. That should mean something to you. That should shape your affections for that person. That should shape your thoughts about that person. And that should shape the way you go about serving that person because Christ died for that person. So the gospel comes bursting through for the pastor to remember what this is all about. The church bought with and sealed in divine blood. That's why we take pastoring serious. We're not perfect pastors. And if you stay around here for long enough, you'll find that out pretty quick. (laughs) But this is what guides us to lovingly and humbly shepherd your souls, knowing that God has called us to it, has equipped us for it in his spirit, and that ultimately, as under shepherds, our great hope is in the chief shepherd. Why are we pastor-led? We are pastor-led because in the infinite wisdom of God, 
He has chosen men to shepherd his precious people until the great shepherd returns for his people. So, two points of application. The first one is for you. Your commitment to your pastors. Just flip real quick, just a few pages to the front of your Bible, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Let's read it together. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Three ways you can make pastoring you a joy for your pastors, which the writer of Hebrews says is in your best interest. (laughs) Did you notice what he said at the end? That is no advantage to, to you if you do not make it a joy for your pastors to pastor you. So time for self-interest. Time to be selfish if you want (laughs) for the glory of God. One, pray for your pastors. Simple as that. Pray for us. Two, be charitable toward your pastors. What I mean by that is inevitably there are people in their church who have problems. And And then some of those people leave. But inevitably, no matter what the problem is really about, the pastor typically becomes the problem. And you guys hear it. You guys hear it. Sometimes you might hear something and immediately get angry with your pastor. But a charitable judgment says, well, hold time out. (laughs) I don't know my pastor to be that way. I'm going to go to him before I make any kind of judgment. And oftentimes that has happened around here. But being charitable towards your pastors and then helping others be charitable. Stand up, if you will, for your pastors. Don't stand for the gossip. Don't stand for somebody just getting their opinion across or venting. I had a gentleman years ago in the church in Gilbert, he was in my small group, and he came to me and we were at Applebee's. I remember so clearly, he said, Hey, I, I need to tell you something, but you got to promise you won't tell anybody. And anytime you say that to me, I'm going to immediately say, well, the only way I won't tell anybody is if I feel like I don't need to tell anybody. <laughs> I reserve the right to get somebody else involved because ultimately I care about your soul. So he told me anyway. And he had a beef with one of the pastors. And I said, well, have you talked to him? No. Well, you need to go talk to him. Quit talking to me. Don't talk to anybody else. Go talk to him. I think you'll find you're off. I think you'll find you heard something that's not true. I think you'll find that all this will be resolved instead of being angry with the pastor. I didn't stand for it. I was humble and I was gracious, but I said, and I think, and I'm going to give you a week because you got a problem with your pastor and it's not good for this to linger. So I'll give you a week to go. And if you don't, I'm going. I'm going. So be charitable towards your pastors, both in your own heart, but then help others be charitable as well. Three, so long as your pastors are following Christ, follow your pastors. 
in the words of Hebrews 13, it's to your advantage. And it brings glory to your Savior. So that's your commitment to us. Those of you who want to become members, that that needs to be your commitment to your path, to your new pastors. Here's our commitment to you. Look at verse 4 as we close. Peter ends this by saying, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I I would love to preach a whole sermon just on verse 4. This this verse blows me away, but it also reminds me of my grandfather, who for over 60 years pastored faithfully and joyfully, pretty much in obscurity and most of the time in real poverty, often unnoticed and unappreciated. But when you spoke with him, it was clear he did what he did with two things in mind, the good of the people and what awaited him in heaven. He was motivated by the good of those he served and the fact that one day he would see his Savior and receive a crown of glory. By the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, your pastors commit to the same. To serve and lead you humbly with our eyes fixed on what awaits us and all of us in heaven.